Adyak. You're listening to Adyak. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Our mission is to inspire creativity and enhance the professional development of the advertising and marketing communities where we live and work. I'm your host, Bill Childs, and I'll talk with artists, designers, writers, directors, photographers, along with those who work in a creative capacity. Our aim here is to serve as a creative resource to help you stay informed, entertained, and above all, inspired. But first, I want to thank ASR Media. We appreciate your support and collaboration. Jason Salentes is one of those people you only have to know for about five seconds before you realize that, one, he's a very chill, down-to-earth, easygoing guy, and two, he loves his pugs, Alien and Predator. Spend a little more time with him, and you'll realize he's also very talented, and I am thrilled to have him on the podcast. Jason is a visual communication design and typography professor at Winthrop University's Department of Design in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He's written about design and visual culture for Arcade, I, Mental Floss, Open Manifesto, and How Magazines, as well as print, where he served as a contributing editor. Jason has four books on design and typography principles and design history to his credit. He contributed to the Fadon Archive of Graphic Design and co-authored Typography Referenced, named to the 2013 Outstanding Reference Sources List by the American Library Association's Reference and User Services Association. His book, Type, Form, and Function, explores type design and typography fundamentals. And the graphic designer's electronic media manual covers web design principles. I met Jason for the first time when we were both judges for the American Advertising Federation's Addy Awards in Albany, New York, and I immediately liked him. When he's not engulfed in brand, graphic, type, and web design, he stays up late wondering what three wishes he would ask for if a genie visited him. And let's be honest, who doesn't? He loves comic books, literature, film, humor, horror, sci-fi, and pugs, although not necessarily in that order. In his free time, Jason enjoys hanging out with his family while wearing comfortable and sporty clothing, which some call sweatpants. He and I yak it up about his love of typography, graphic design, the need for kerning, and our mutual love for character actor Charles Grodin. Here is my ad yak with Jason Salentes. Jason Salentes, welcome to Adyak. It's great to be here. How you doing, my friend? I can't complain. Yeah? Yeah. You do much good anyway, right? Well, yeah, I tend to believe what Betty White said. Um, I have read a lot of the obituaries after she passed away, and I was a big fan of Betty yeah. White's, and she said something to the effect of, you know, um, complain all you want. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember it exactly, but it was like, you know, why bother? Why bother complaining? Right, right. You know, there's, right. there's, there's too much good Absolutely. in the world. Well, speaking of that, I'll tell you this. I want to share the story of how we first met. So we <laughs> went to the, I was asked to be a judge at the Albany Addy Awards, right? And, you know, there's always that Friday night where you meet the judges, you know, you kind of come into town and, and you get to kind of meet everybody. Maybe there's a dinner. In our case, we had to start judging right away because there were a lot of entries and everyone was in the room. And I remember you walk in and you're like, hey, everybody, I got donuts. That was yeah. my introduction to you. You're yeah. like announcing the fact that you bought donuts and you had a T-shirt with a pug on it. 
And I was like, this is going to be a fun weekend. <laughs> this is going to be fun. And that, that judging that we did that, that weekend was amazing. That was one of the best judging experiences I've ever had. And I've judged a bunch of Addy Awards and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, but just the, the, the way we all kind of bonded and just kind of got along and not that, not that, you know, we, we all just like, you know, yes, each other's, uh, you know, uh, entries and everybody, everything. There was, there was discourse and dialogue, but it was done with respect and it was just done with in, an intelligence. And I, I really enjoyed that. So that was, I, what is your recollection of, of that weekend? That is exactly how it happened. <laughs> yeah, all of that. Yeah. And I agree too about the way that everybody gelled. Um, it was just fun to be there conversational when we had free time mm-hmm. and serious as well when we were looking at the work, but I, nobody, you're right. Nobody ever was kind of poking and prodding, trying to kind of have an agenda or be the alpha. Right. And I, I look back on that experience a lot with a lot of appreciation. Sounds like you do too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and I think that that benefits the, the club and the people who, who submit work, you know, because there, we, we, we all checked our egos at the door. Yeah. You know, and it was just there was a, we saw a lot of good work. I mean, I, I remember I was be I was impressed. Um, and I just I liked how that club just set that all up, how they set everything up, how they how they had the way the judging, just the way it all laid out. And I, like I said, I've, I've done a bunch of judgings and um, some are better than others. But that one was a good that was a really good experience, really good people. And I still I still think of, uh, you know, Peter and, and uh, Anthony and Lily. And uh, you, you know, and, and just remember it so well. So, yeah. All right. So I let's think about get, it too every yeah. winter. Yeah. So let's get into it a little bit. So you are the professor of visual communication design and typography at Winthrop University. Yeah. So, did you? I always ask this of my guests. Did you choose your career, or did your career choose you? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, you know, if I was to say that. The path was predestined. That might be a little too much uh, of a Jedi outlook on things. Uh, I had always loved art. Um, had got into what was really more along the lines of commercial art at the time. It was mm-hmm. Graphic design sure. in the '80s when we got our first Mac Plus. And what year was that, by the way? What year? For, yeah, so for us that would have been '86. We didn't get the Mac until the Mac Plus. We the very first Mac that came out, my dad was kind of, you know, hesitant. Let's just wait. Um, yeah. He's always been like that with tech. But we had a lot of computers in the household. So we were able to kind of, at least I was able to blur and play with art and tech. So you know, I had chosen those tools and played around those tools. But I think as with anything else, as you kind of move through the motions of a career, there are many paths before you. And you sometimes you choose, sometimes others... Uh, will choose for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that I, you know, knew that I wanted, I, I knew I wanted to do something in art with art. You know, I knew that I didn't say like, Oh yeah, I want to be a creative director. Cause I wouldn't have even known what that was or what any what <laughs> or an art director or a creative director. Um, I got the sense of, you know, just growing up, you know, kind of, you know, that you could do something with this, whether it was a painter or a sculptor or any, you know, any, anything in that field. Uh, but as I got to high school and I got into Votech uh, and commercial art, that was, that was the class that, that really kind of captured my, my attention. And this is all pre pre-computers. So it was all just kind of 
learning how to, you know, draw still lifes and learning how to see and just, you know, talking about, you know, typography and, and things, you know, where you'd have to create your own type, you know, you weren't, you weren't getting it from a computer, you know, so yeah, it's interesting. So what, uh, what do you like about teaching? You're, you know, what do you, what do you like about it? What do you enjoy about doing that? Uh, well, it's kind of funny. I'm laughing about it, but I had a professor in design school and he was always asked that the first week of school and I would be a teaching assistant and I would always watch John talk about what he did and what he liked. And I remember his consistent answer was the reason I like teaching. Oh, that's because I have a captive audience. And mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, that says a lot about him. You know, <laughs> he, he wants to have people there who are going to listen and I think in some ways that is one of the reasons that I do it. And maybe it's also equal parts theatrics because you know, you're on stage, so to speak. Sure. And the classroom teaching is, is a lot like theater. And I think that's why for me, the move to online classes in March, 2020, it was a big change. It was, it was probably a lot like what actors have to do in front of a green screen all the time. You know, there's right, right, sure. or this vacuum. Um, but I think the primary reason that I enjoyed doing it is because I had so many great teachers growing up. I also had a lot of bad teachers. I need those and, too. Yeah. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I always thought, you know, I could do it better than the bad teachers. And maybe, just maybe, I could do it as good as the great teachers I have. What do you think your students would say about you as a teacher? <laughs> Well, because I do get student evaluations at the mm -hmm. end of every semester and then the middle of the semester, I know exactly what they type in those forms anonymously. Uh, and then, you know, they'll tell me when they graduate how appreciative they are and were. Mm -hmm. um, I think that with every degree of compliments that I get, there's also some things that, that I could definitely uh, work on. Um, but I try to focus more on the positive things the students say. And it's just that I make the work fun. And yeah. consistently, that's what I hear. Well, what do you think in, in terms of um, the challenges that, uh, you know, these, these graduates are going to face as they enter the workforce and the work, you know, what are, what are, I mean, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What, uh, what are you, what are you hearing from them? Yeah. Well, it's not going to get any easier. Um, you even just look back to the 90s or 80s coming out of design school or art school sure. or business school, there were a lot of inherent challenges where you're going to find work, get your portfolio together, are you going to be able to take it? Um, I think the good news is that a lot of the tyrants that you and I probably had as creative directors, art directors, and teachers, th those days are numbered. So yeah. these students on, on the plus side. Good are probably not going to have a lot of the tyrant creative directors and art directors. I might be wrong. I applaud that. Yeah. And some of what I'm saying is kind of presumptive, but I know in the past couple of years, I haven't had students come back to me who are like, oh my gosh, you guys were so hard in the classroom. It's so difficult. But this boss I have is the worst. <laughs> we don't hear that as much as we Good. used to. Yeah. Um, the other challenge, it's a big one, is that it's a, it's a huge pool and there are billions of people swimming in it who know how to use the tools, mm -hmm. are inventive, and have a unique voice. 
And that makes it harder. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But the, I mean, I think, I think you can still, there, there's still enough work out there for everybody. You know, I think you yeah. can find, there's a, I think it's a lot easier now to find your niche or find a niche than it was, you know, where you're either going to go work at a newspaper or a billboard company or, you know, a sign company where you're now, I mean, there's just so like, it's just very niche. Like there, there's a lot of things that you can do. And with the web that opens everything up, you know, yeah. you don't have to schlep your portfolio around you know, to agencies and, you know, you just, you just send them a link, you know, here, check out my work, you know, uh, interesting what you're, what you, the, the topic you just brought up. Um, I write a column for network magazine. It's a B2B magazine here in the Lehigh Valley. And my next column that I'm going to be, that's going to be coming out. Um, there's a new study that was released in March of 2022. It was done by the university of Illinois at Urbana Champaign, where they actually uncovered an inherent creative bias towards people that lean more towards the right side of their brain. And because, and, and it's interesting because I've, I feel like I've, I've experienced this a lot in my career where we're people that, that lean, that are, that identify themselves as being creative, right. Are actually, according to this study, seen as noxious and disruptive. Mm. Okay. I would argue exactly what we need right now uh, you know, in business and in a lot of areas, but also it said that um, ideas and innovation are oft, often get rejected off because it brings up feelings of uncertainty in managers, and most managers are not comfortable with that. Now, you would think that a that a someone who started a business or a business leader would be comfortable with risk and uncertainty and ambiguity and things like that, but they're not. Um, and it just it just it was an interesting. Um, interesting uh, the research just showing that there there is really an, an inherent bias towards people that are that are seen as creative i just want to know what, what th get your take on that um i can tell you what a little bit of what i've seen and heard over the past couple of decades and uh, even up until now i've got a lot of friends who work in what might be considered more uh, suit and tie kind of jobs Maybe they are creative directors. Maybe they work in finance, maybe real estate. And, you know, the joke that we always kind of talk about back and forth, and it's really them joking with me is, mm -hmm. well, you know, how's all that fun stuff going with the, uh, the ponytails and, and sweatpants, all the creative <laughs> stuff you do, Jason. And the lava lamps and the beanbag chairs. The lava lamps and the beanbag chairs, which are such a cliche, but I don't. <laughs> I'm not gonna, this is this is totally on point here and, and relevant. I'm not kidding. I, I just bought a bunch of beanbags for a student lounge that we're decorating um, here on campus. So yeah, we live the cliche. I have a lava lamp at every desk I have ever worked at. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know, keep it loose. Yep. The thing though about uncertainty is um, we're living in business times really probably since the 80s and especially since the subprime crash where uncertainty is dangerous and the bottom line matters. And I get it. You know, of course. If, sure. if you own a business, whether you're big or small, you want to bet on something you're going to know is going to return an investment. Mm -hmm. But that does make the creative job harder. Sure. Um, there's still fun stuff happening, though. Like, okay. Absolutely. Cheetos. Yeah. I caught this Mark Morrison ad where he's singing Return of the Mac, but he's riffing it into Return of the Snack and Cheetos and <laughs> dust and everything. I'm like, 
That is totally <laughs> awesome. Huge risk. Like not everybody knows Mark Morrison or the lyrics to that song. Fun fact, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love those kinds of what I call creative risks. You know, they could have yeah. just brought out Chester Cheeto or the right, ladies, sure. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just, I, uh, the column, <clears throat> I'm excited for the column because it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it touches on a lot of points that uh, I kind of talk about how I wish I knew that this inherent kind of creative bias existed before I was choosing my path because it, it, it's made for, um, you know, it's made for some challenges, you know, in my, in my career, you know, I've, I've had both. I've, I've worked at companies where it was literally the promised land where the, the, the leader was like, look, we're going to lean into our, our creativity. We're going to lean into our design. We're going to make it what, what this company is about. And then there were others where it was just, you know, I learned about um, narcissism and I learned about bipolar Mm -hmm. and how those things don't mix in a creative environment. You know, especially Mm -hmm. when you're, you know, you you get asked to redo a logo for the company that you're working at. And then I walked into the propeller blades because I had no idea that the the leader of the company had narcissism and there was no way he was going to let anyone do the logo. But I didn't know that. And um, yeah, it just caused for a lot of... um, a lot of angst. I knew after I knew that f- first week at that job that I made a mistake by taking it because mm-hmm. the logo that we created for this company, um, it was it was awesome. I worked with the team. We evolved it. It 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 worked on everything. It would have been great. And then I found out that um, yeah, and the logo looks like it was something that was created in a Word document thirty years ago, or maybe even Corel Draw. Like that's how, like, like it just, it didn't work in social media. There was no horizontal version. It was only stacked. It was, it was kind of a nightmare. So I, I was encouraged by the fact that he asked me to do it because I thought, perfect, rebrand, let's work on it. And it just, it just, he couldn't, he couldn't let it get there. He couldn't, could, and then I, and then a couple of weeks later, the HR director came down to my office and handed me a folder about that thick, about two inches thick. I said, what's this? She said, it's all the logos that got rejected over the years. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I'm looking through this and some of these were even better than what I had come up with or my team had come up with. And I was just like, oh my God, what did I do? It was a rough, it was a rough two years. <laughs> was well, was rough- that a situation where going into it at any of the interviews or the first week, was your spidey sense tingling? No, even a little no, bit? no, not at all. Okay. Nope. No, because everything we talked about was, was like, yeah, let's do it. Yes. You know, like it was, it was, um, well, I, I learned that there were, uh, there were two sides to that person. There was the personal side, which is the side I got to know. And then there was the business side, totally different, two totally different people. But, you know, you take that and you, you flip that on, you know, the other, the other leader that I, that I worked with, uh, at Adams Outdoor, John Hayes, where is the two best years of my career. I, I grew the most, I did the best work. Um, it was an outdoor uh, company. So the market looked the best that it ever did. We were doing, we were doing, uh, we won an Obie award that year, which is like unheard of for an out, you know, the big guys, the big agencies, you know, they, they, you know, they win those outdoor companies from the Lehigh Valley don't win Obies. Um, Yeah. So it was, we were, we were rocking, we were rocking it, but it's, it's interesting to see like how, when those environments or those cultures get set up to allow creativity to flourish, it's magic. It is, it is, it is an unbelievable feeling. It's, it's, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's otherworldly. You know, you, you feel 
plugged into something bigger than yourself, you know, and you, you, you have an environment or a culture where ideas are, are discussed. You know, it's not like I walk, I could walk in and go, Hey, I want to do, I have an idea. I want to turn one. I want to take one of the billboards and I want to, I want to light it up on fire. Like, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? It's, we're talking about like a, a culture where, where big ideas can be discussed. You know, you don't want to work in a culture where ideas can't even be discussed. You can't even talk about it. Like you can't, that, that's what you, that's what you want to try to avoid. Right. At least for me, you know, I just think that when you have that culture set up and I, I was talking about this on my, on my last podcast with Tony Vengrove, um, who does a lot of work. He worked at Saatchi. He was uh, on the client side at Saatchi and Saatchi. And his dad was the creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi responsible for the Toyota. Oh, what a feeling campaign. Oh yeah. Uh, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool stuff. And, um, he talks about that. He talked, he said the one time he was, uh, Tony was in a pitch and the, the creative team presented and they, uh, he was looking at the ideas and, and he said back to the creative team, well, what do you guys think? And they, they looked at him. They didn't know what to say. And they said, no one's ever asked us that. I'm like, yeah. come on, really? No one's ever asked the people that created the work. What do you think? And then I thought, yeah, no, I could see that happening. But I mean, that, that's just the ridiculousness of what like happens in this career. You know, you kind of get out there and it's almost like the people that are in charge really kind of don't even understand what they're in charge of. You know, what are we doing? You know, what kind of, you know, 5,000 messages at the average person every day. And what, we're going to create an ad that's going to look like the thousands of others and just bl- it just have it be wallpaper almost instantly. Yeah. So I, I just think that 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 is going to be the challenge. But I like the fact of what you're saying about how that those maniacal creative directors and art directors are probably going to start to to phase out. Well, it's presumptive on my part. I don't have. No, I think you think you're on to that. I think but I wonder, that. though, if it's generational um, and I'm always skeptical of, you know, pinpointing things in a generational way. But I think that that generation is probably of the baby boomer age, or maybe there's a lot of Gen Xers and we may see less of that. That would be a good thing. Now, I know that you've authored four books. Um, Authored two, co-authored two, and then, yeah, I've also done some white papers, like another two white papers. Well, I have one of your books here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I recognize that. Form and Function, a handbook on the fundamentals of typography. Awesome book. I recommend it. Thank you. Um, I do have a little bit of a bone to pick though. Yeah. Are you seriously not going to tell me what the code is on the cover of this? Because I've looked and I've tried and I'm pretty good at that stuff. And I either you're messing with me or I have not been able to crack this code on here. I mean, this is like CIA, CIA level stuff here. Yeah. Like, well, you can know, you give me, Riddler, a hint? But... <laughs> give me a hint? Give me something. Is it like, do I got to squint? And we'll no, no, sorry. The Riddler didn't even give Batman any hints. So, or Alfred for that matter. But there's, yeah, there's stuff hidden there. There's stuff hidden on, on this cover. Yeah. Oh, is yeah. it, a, is it a phrase? Is it a, is it a, is it a, does it unlock the universe? Is it a, what, what, just, can you give me that? In a lot of ways. Yeah, it does unlock the universe. All right. Yeah. I'm in. I'll, I'll go back in. You better get to work. <laughs> and you've had that book now for what, five or six years? You still no, 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 no. I brought it. I was, this was a COVID purchase. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But this is great. This is an awesome book. Love Thank it. you. So, um, so do you get freaked out when people call uh, type fonts? Like, does that bother you? 
No, no. I, not that I, much I, am, <laughs> I am not one of those zealots. Um, you know, I'll talk to the students about the differences, but I don't get triggered in the way that Ryan Gosling's character did when he saw Papyrus. It's not to that level. The things that do irk me, though, are just some of the common sense things, like check your spelling. Like kerning? Kerning, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of words that get ruined by bad kerning. But it's at the most basic level. It's just like, check your spelling. Check know your spelling? Which, okay. Yeah, know which you're, you're using. And then know which there you're using. I'm not sure that, I think that's English class, Jason. I don't, I don't think that's typography. <laughs> well, to me, it's all letters, numbers, and symbols. So true, that's true. Typography. <laughs> So I also know that uh, it, I think in 2019, you wrote for, um, was it Print Magazine? You wrote a, an article on Helvetica? Um, yeah. I Helvetica was, Now, I think, was the title of that? Yeah, I was a, a contributing writer, contributing editor when Print Magazine was yeah. still in print. Now it's yeah. entirely online. Yeah, yeah. I, I covered typography for print. Um, a couple of other beats, I covered the tech beat for them, too, and um even I did a piece on Vine for them a few years ago. Mm. I was even just talking with my son about Vine because we were going back and forth about TikTok. Six second videos. Yeah, yeah. six second videos, six seconds or less. And we yeah. were talking about it and how much of an impact it had. And then poof, gone. Yeah, weird, weird. So what is your thought on Helvetica? It's timeless. It's um, it's got a movie made after it. You can't go wrong. Yeah, documentary. Great documentary. I still use it myself. It's a workhorse. It's very functional, and it is beautiful to look at. Is it overused? Who cares? Right. Yeah, <laughs> Just, I, I I don't have a problem with it. Now we might disagree about Comic Sans. I feel kind of the same way about Comic Sans that I do about Helvetica. You know, it's beautiful to look at. It has its place. I've used it myself, mm -hmm. unironically, and <laughs> I think it has a purpose. Yeah. Well, actually, I may be wrong about this, but wasn't that font developed for... There was a reason that font was developed, and it has to do with, um, I think, people with, with uh, disabilities are, are having trouble reading I don't know. I'd have to look. I, I thought maybe I was, I was going to ask you about that and to see if you if you knew about that. I do believe that that font was designed with a specific uh, thing in mind like that. I'll have to. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at the, the history about why it was created. But you're right in so much as certain types, certain fonts will be easier for folks to read if they're younger, <clears throat> for example, yeah. maybe just learning to read uh, or if they're dyslexic. And, yeah, um, yeah, it might make sense. Can be one that might be easier to read. Yeah. yeah. Well, this might be an unfair question, but do you have your do you have any fonts that you like your go to fonts that kind of like that you you just you just you, you've never fallen out of love with that you just you love using? Yeah, probably trade gothic, news gothic. Uh, again, workhorses. There's a lot of uh, variety. You've got something that sets in kind of a more wider. Uh, width and then it's got some nice narrow widths um, because I live almost entirely in the Google workspace with docs yeah. and slides. I actually use a lot of Google fonts. I like Barlow, um, IBM Plex. There's a, a full family that IBM Plex has and it's sans serif, serif, a monospace, and then I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, so long as it's accessible and I don't have to fuss around too much with, you know, downloading, installing it, is it corrupting things? Right. I tend to think kind of functionally about yeah. type. Okay. Who are some of your design influences? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, first and foremost, probably all the Franciscan nuns that I had in Catholic school because of the seriousness that they brought the art to us and they talked about art in a way that was functional yeah interesting um, yeah a lot of pictures you know you, you think about going to the museum as a child or looking at art as a child it's like well does it look like a person oh yeah the mona lisa oh does it look like a mountain oh yeah you know mm -hmm. but uh, i think with the the art school training that i had it was very much about form and function and numerology and you know i'm not getting into the like da vinci code <laughs> zone of things here but there was this truth and beauty and beauty and truth that the franciscan sisters talked a lot about and i mm -hmm. had i had one every year of middle school and elementary school uh, and then there were some non-nuns lay people as they were called Okay. Um, but then also, you know, just in popular culture, which was a big escape because it was the art outside of the classroom. You know, there were the comic books. Um, I just remember covers by Stranko and um, Ditko um, sure, through the sure. 70s and 80s. Um, and then movie titles. Um, mm -hmm. I'll never forget seeing Superman, Richard Donner's Superman in the theater. And maybe this is really where the typomaniac in me uh, had an awakening. I just yeah. remember seeing those titles on screen being like, ah, this speaks to me. Right. Those were the 3D, right? They were like 3D yeah. lucent and kind of. Yeah. And I can't, I think, I can't remember <clears throat> if RGA did those or, or who did those. Uh, gosh, I, I should know that, but I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I remember the one time, just a little side story here. I was sitting with one of my designers uh, and we uh, we created an entire alphabet at my desk using paper clips and we were able to do every letter. I was really, I, I should have taken photos of that. I just, yeah. it, it happened so impromptu. She just came down, we're talking about something and I might've been fooling with a paper clip and she's like a tight nerd. Um, and she's like, oh, it looks like a letter A. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. And then I was like, hmm, I just was in a fun mood that day. I said, hang on a second. And we started, we literally created the entire alphabet. I mean, there were a couple letters that were tricky. Yeah. That were maybe like fake with like two paper clips, maybe a W or something. But we were able to do like the whole alphabet with with like kind of one paper clip. It was kind of magical. Um, I really wish I would have captured that moment, but I was so caught up in the wonderment of it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to like, you know, stop and go, let me take photos of this. And let's, you know, I didn't want to analyze it. I just let it happen. That was really cool. Yeah. Kind of little exercise. It's cool that you remember it. I wonder if you took pictures of it, if you would remember it as vividly. I don't know. That's interesting. It just, <laughs> yeah, but we did it though. We did it. That's cool. So you're, you're a big pop culture guy, right? I love it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, when you think about the amount of um, inspiration that's out there, you know, which really does show like the different, you know, from comic books to album covers to package design. I mean, it's just everything literally has to be designed. Someone has to design it. 
You know, someone has to write something and then someone has to create it. And then, you know, then it goes from there. But, but there's so package design, industrial design. Um, it just endless, endless amounts of opportunities for, for designers and people who can think different or look at things differently um, and say, hey, well, what about this? See, that's the thing that I, I, I really have struggled to, to get business owners to understand is that creative people are the kind of people that they're not afraid to take risks. They're not afraid to look silly, right? And they know that the only way you're going to find something or find something transformative is if they're, you have to be comfortable with being wrong, right? And, and just, there's just the risk averse business culture oftentimes is like, well, my spreadsheet tells me that that idea is not going to work. And I'm going to here to tell you right now, 10 out of 10 times, your spreadsheet is going to tell you that that idea doesn't work. In fact, probably most of the ideas that we now take for granted in our life probably started out as that idea is not going to work. It's that, it's that, that, that period or that phase where you have to, you just, you have to like your, your passion almost has to like override like everyone else and, and everyone else has to kind of get caught up in, in the excitement and your belief that it's going to work. And yeah. then you start to kind of, I mean, look, you probably know about this stuff. There's the, the things that, you know, the, so many times of um, things that have, that were amazing ideas, transformative ideas that were initially rejected. And now they're accepted as, you know, I think you can go back to even probably, there's a great video online. It's, um, is, uh, is our ideas killing your future? And it's about three cavemen. And one of the cavemen is introducing the wheel, right? But up to that point, these, the, the cavemen are using a square wheel, right? No, you have to see this video. It's, it's hilarious. Whoever wrote it, bravo. I, I don't know who wrote it and, and, and produced it, but um, they're talking about the wheel and the circle and they're saying, well, if it's round and it rolls, it could roll away. That's one of the logics of why not to do it, right? Another is if it, if it rolls, it could roll over your foot and injure you. I mean, just the, the, this is with the wheel, Jason, the wheel. Sure. Is, is, was George Costanza in this? Because there's a lot of <laughs> neuroses behind some of these decisions. <laughs> I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I, 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 I struggle. I struggle with this and I probably will for the rest of my life is like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing? What, what is it about creative people that make you think business people think that we're just going to like trash their place? We want to just have the dialogue. We want to have the conversation about, we want to explore. Creative people love to explore. Even if the ideas don't happen, can we at least talk about it? Can we at least explore it? Can we go into that corner of the room and see what's over there? Yeah. Or are we just going to be like so afraid and say like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to look over. We've looked over there once. There's nothing there. And I know what I'm about to say is going to contradict what I said earlier about tyrants, but I think it's important to bring up somebody like Steve Jobs, who hmm. was characterized in a lot of ways as a tyrant mm -hmm. and there was a lot of finger pointing and finger wagging but over the years that was the one person who did say we're going to do this we're going to take that risk and assembled a team of people who could make that happen and you can't leave the people out like Susan Kerr who did the type yep. who did the icons you know he had the vision to bring in Susan mm -hmm. and Jobs being somebody who loved lettering calligraphy recognize the value of it and put that as one of the core features in the right. Apple product. So I know earlier I was like, well, you know, maybe the tyrants are, you know, disappearing, but coincidentally, I was at my son's graduation um, recently and there was a gentleman in line, very well-dressed. He might've been 70 or 80 and he had a pin on, it was a red cross pin. 
Okay. And I just started talking with him and he's telling me all about what he does or did and how the situation with the graduation was, you know, many people were in charge and we were getting different answers from different people. And he said, point blank, you know, if many people are in charge, nobody's in charge. Ooh. And it really did pinpoint, I think, what are a lot of the problems with um, business in yeah. general? Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, a, a boardroom full of 10 or 12 or 20 people isn't going to get the job done. Uh, and if you look at somebody like Steve Jobs, who did take the risks to the point where he was eventually gone from Apple and then came back and brought it back to life. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's really hard to pinpoint what works. If anybody knew what works, we'd all be millionaires <laughs> or some of yeah. us would be millionaires. But I, that to me is part of the fun. And you asked earlier, you know, why do you teach? Why do you do this? Why art of design? I think part of the fun is that there is the problem solving end of it and yeah. the mystery. It's kind of like a Scooby-Doo mystery. Every creative project is a yep. freaking Scooby-Doo mystery. How am I going to make this work and solve it? Right. I agree. I agree. That's funny. There was another quote that uh, Tony Vengrove in my previous podcast said that I, I loved. I, I've never heard it expressed like this, and I, I absolutely love it. We've all heard the phrase, I'll believe it when I see it. He said, if you believe it, you will see it. And to, I was like, oh, you could have knocked me over with a feather on that one. That's like, good. You, was you, is you Tony a retired it. magician? Did he start off as a magician? <laughs> Because that sounds very much like something a magician would say. It's about illusion. Yeah, but if but but it's real. Like if you believe it, you'll yeah. see. It. Think yeah. about it. If, if, you know, you start thinking about a new car you want to buy. All of a sudden, everybody's driving that car. It's like yeah. boom, boom, boom. It's like what the heck's happening? But when you're not, you don't see. It. But but I think we tend to run our businesses, unfortunately, in the sense of, you know, you have to almost prove the idea is going to work before you actually do it, and that's not how this works. So I don't know where that's getting, uh, where those signals are getting crossed in, in business school. I, I don't know if they, they're teaching that. Um, you know, I don't know if you know, do you know any of the backstory about Tesla, Nikola Tesla? Uh, yeah, um, okay. a little bit. And especially when it came to the competition for, you know, who was going to get the rights to the electrical systems. And The Prestige is a movie I love, which has a kind of a small part that Nikolai Tesla plays. It's about magicians, but it's also about Tesla and uh, the race for electricity. Do you know how many things that guy invented? Like, I mean, if I had to guess, century. hundreds. Like, literally invented the 20th century. I'd say hundreds. Yeah. Radio, yeah. remote control. Kind of figured out the internet before there was an internet. Kind of figured out the, uh, the world, the, the universe works on energy and vibration. And could figure out, did figure out a way how to send things through through wireless, and then J.P. Yeah. Morgan, who was trying to monetize, you know, you know, gave, basically gave, he's Tesla was like, no, no, this should be free to everybody. He's like, no, 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 and then he gave the contract to Edison. Yeah, because yeah, so I mean, that's a whole other podcast. But I think of like a guy like that who is just brilliant, just genius level brilliance, um, and just I, I wrote a column about him too uh, at one point, just but just fascinating guy. So I wanted to also ask you, Jason, did you ever, did you work in the private sector at all? Did you ever work at an agency? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did. Um, I mean, starting out, there was a lot of freelance work I would even do in high school. Um, 
because of the access I had to the computers and technology. And I worked in a little copy shop, a local copy store, and I was able to drum up some kind of small business on my own. Graduated, uh, worked in an agency for a few years. Um, some of our notable clients were Kmart. We were the agency director for Kmart. Oh, wow. uh, budget. I think we had budget. And there were a couple of others, too. Um, a lot of contract work after that. After grad school, I worked at the Experience Music Project and Science Fiction Museum Hall of Fame in Seattle, which is now known as the Museum of Pop, I think. Mm, okay. So I've, yeah, I've worked in, you know, agency side, studio side, done research and development for software as well. The, the work in Seattle, that was a lot of fun. Uh, okay. There was so much access to everything and anything, you know, Jimi Hendrix's guitar and Battlestar Galactica stuff. And I did a lot of the event graphics and promotions. Okay. okay. Um, so what, how did you, how did you end up, uh, how did you end up teaching? How did you end up getting a, going into teaching? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, an odd story. Um, I think even right out of high school or when I was in college, I can't recall, but one of the arts, one of the art teachers at my high school was like sick or something. And they asked me to cover. Um, that's when I started to think about it kind of seriously. Uh, I cannot recall if I came in and helped in a group or if it was just me, but anyway. Okay. And then right after college, my professor had to take some time off and they were in kind of an emergency situation. They were gonna have to cancel classes. I was one of the only people who could do it. So I did it yeah. and it felt right. And really from there on out, I thought, okay, let me see how I can carve away a career out of this. Yes. And that would have been in the nineties. So how, how long have you been teaching since the nineties? Um, on and off, probably since the nineties, 98, 99. Yeah. Give okay. or take, but you know, th those were, 98, 99 or whatever, uh, those were kind of adjuncts kind of things. And then full-time teaching really didn't happen until 2005. Yeah. Okay. What if somebody wanted to see your work? Like what if, you know, I, do you have a portfolio? Do you have a oh, yeah. website yeah, yeah. out there? I've got a portfolio. I've got a website. Okay. Uh, the portfolio that I have, I, I used to keep everything up on my website okay. as a portfolio of work, but because I'm kind of a chameleon and I've taken on so many different projects over the years. Sure. I don't really feel a need to corner myself and be like, okay, you know, here, here are the logos I've done. Here are book designs I've done. Okay. Um, so the portfolio, it is available on a need to know basis. <laughs> I <don't>, <laughs> yeah. I don't know any other way to put it. Um, but okay. Here, so you almost have to like ask you to yeah. see it and then you provide it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm asking you, can yeah. I see it? Because <laughs> I really wanted, I was out there, I was looking for your, I couldn't find your, I found some, a lot of things about you, but not your work. And I was like, I would really want to see your work. Well, the book that you just showed, I designed yeah. that whole book, including the cover. And you know, that as an artifact, as a design product was a huge undertaking. Oh my God, um, this is, yeah. It's so well done, so well one done. One of the other books that I did shortly thereafter, the graphic designers, Guide to Electronic Media. Uh, I designed that one too. I recently designed a book 
um, for another publisher. So it, it kind of has started to focus along the lines of publication design. This is a real serious face here. Yeah, that that's my let's look like a professor pose. Yeah, love it. Um, I have to share this story with you because um, I shared it on another podcast, but I think you'll probably appreciate it more than anybody. So when I went out of school, came out of school, I came out of Otech in 1983 <clears throat> and I was hired at a sign company. And I was hired to lay out lettering using an exacto knife, peeling off chart pack letters individually. Okay. I was paid $3 and 40 cents an hour to basically lay out doctor's names on grid paper on this like grid paper that could be, you know, they could put a tape on it, lift it off, apply it to a sign, right? A directory did this for hours, hours, got pretty good at letter spacing, right? Be having no idea what letter spacing was, what tracking was, what kerning was because computers didn't exist. I was uh -huh. the computer setting it up. And it's one of those dots that gets connected later when you start to type in text into a computer and you realize, why is that? Oh, so far away from that. Why what is that? Why is it all, all the way? Up? And then you learn kerning. So like I am a kerning like, like master, like Jedi level master of kerning. And if you're one of my design, any of my designers would show me a design, the first thing I would see would be the kerning. And if I'd see bad kerning, I couldn't even look at the rest of the design. I'd be like, you have to go fix this kerning. So what, what was interesting is initially they were like, oh my God, this guy and his stupid kerning. But they they understood that kerning is if you don't know how to kern, I can't, I can't, I can't trust you. I can't, I have to. I have you have I have to know that you know how to kern that you're I see bad kerning on on national TV shows, on movie titles, you know. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes there's ironic ways of doing if you're doing a civil war type or something, there's going to be like difference. That that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just pleasing letter spacing. It's it's critical, right? Lee Klaus said kerning is caring, you know. So I just thought you would appreciate that because. It's one of those things where like when I was laying out the letters, I never knew that this skill was going to be come in handy years later when I would become a designer and have to set text. You never know. You never know at all. I mean, cutting lasagna for years and making meatballs, I never would have thought there's a real craft to this and using my hands. But some of those skills do come into play. And, yeah. you know, whether it's setting type like you're talking about or cooking, mm -hmm. like I actually know a lot of good designers who started out as cooks. Mm. And, you know, it's, they could translate, transfer those skills into what they did as designers. So, wrote, yeah. Yeah. I wrote a column once about how much, how you can learn about craft from a, a really good slice of pumpkin pie. Because I had this pumpkin pie that's a good one. that was out of this world. Like okay. I had to put the fork down and compose myself. <laughs> like, and I'm not joking. Okay. And I don't get emotional about food. That's a good one. This was an emotional experience. It took a year for me to finally write the column because it, it just wouldn't work. I just, I wanted to try to say the person that baked this pie, this, this pumpkin pie was on a whole other level because like, we could all get to that. We could all get to 90% of this, right? Give me the ingredients. I'll make it, but I'm not going to get to that level. And that made me realize it's that 10% of the craft that you bring that sets you apart. And how many hours of right. making pumpkin pies did that person put in until they were able to get that perfect one. 
And that's another thing too, that just, I think more people need to have an appreciation for is you're not going to get everything you need to know in four years of college or right. four years plus two years of grad school or whatever. There's thousands, tens of thousands of hours you got to put in. And I'd love to meet the person who made that pumpkin pie. I would, yeah. I would just love to hug them and be like, thank you for giving. Thank you for your craft. The, yeah. Caring thank about you your craft. Yeah. Even though it's you, you, yeah. I, and that, that's what I wrote about. Like how, you know, we all have that ability, but, but not everybody wants to work that hard. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like, I'm good with 90%. I was never good with 90%. <laughs> I want the full experience, right? Whether it's design, whether it's a cheeseburger, whether it's painting, whatever that you're doing, I, I want your best at it. I want, I want to know that you're, you're giving it your all. And I could taste it. I could taste those years of experience in that, in that one bite of that pie. The, you said, you know, I'm comfortable at 90%. One of the things I talk about with students is your 90% might be somebody else's 50%. So don't spend so much time comparing yourself to what other people are doing. Right. I love the fact that you've just, you know, set this kind of percentage for yourself. No, I'm not comfortable at 90%. You know what I mean? And I'll never get to 100 I'll okay. never get there. Okay. I'll never get there. 90% is still really good. I know a lot of people who are like 80%. That's all no, I, I need to give. <laughs> Somehow when they were putting me together, they just didn't, uh, they, they just gave me this extra thing that just said good enough is not enough. Well, they, maybe the 90% will help you live longer into your <laughs> 70s and 80s, but the people putting in 100, 120, 200%, they're going to Yeah, die. no, I'm not going to get to 100%. And I'm okay with that because I'm in the pursuit of the craft. You know, um, and to your point earlier, you're right. Learning, learning is lifelong. If you can, if you can ingest that early, not like, oh, I can't wait to get out of college and start doing the work. You, you you're never going to stop learning. Like I'm 30 plus years in, I don't, I'm still learning. I'm still, well, yeah, I still yeah. have a wonderment about what I do. You know, even though I still run into the roadblocks and people like, oh, mm, no, maybe mm, too much. Thank you. Mm, try again. I still come, I keep showing up. You know, that's the one thing I, I do. I am comfortable about with myself is I just keep showing up and, I, and, and try to shake myself off, shine myself up and be like, OK, let's go in again. Let's you know, we, let's what's plan B? What's plan C? What's plan D? And try to still bring a level to it. So, yeah. So as we start to wrap this up, my friend, we have to talk about um, our mutual admiration for the movie Midnight Run. Uh, and specifically Charles Grodin. So do you yeah. want to, you want to start this off or so, I, mean, I know we went back and forth a lot on it on Twitter. Um, well, I think what, we had a, we had that thing in common. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, meeting and me bringing donuts and the pug t-shirt. I think when I had found somebody else who cared as much about midnight, <laughs> as me, that's when I knew, I mean, I have a lot of ways to kind of, you know, yeah measure people so to speak there's a lot of yeah. barometers i use but that <laughs> is one that almost never clicks with other people really i don't know why but yeah i just in that they should go back and give him a posthumous uh academy award for that oh most certainly right i mean that you you, you what he did in that movie uh, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Just for the amount of times that his improv made De Niro look completely confused. <laughs> Which that in and of itself is one of the most special things in that movie. Because here you've got Grodin who is just going off. Give me that eraser. Give me, give me that pencil. And De Niro is hanging in there, but he really looks like 
he's just lost. And maybe that's him staying in character. And what I love is I'll watch that movie and I'll immediately follow with Goodfellas because what you can see in Goodfellas is De Niro's actually using what I think mm. are some very kind of improvisational techniques. Like when he asks for ketchup and they're eating at Tommy's mother's house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the Irishman is going to want ketchup on the spaghetti and the meatballs. Was that scripted? I don't know. Most people miss. Thank you for having an appreciation for that. That's the craft. That's the craft, right? That's the 10%. I just, you know, I remember that one scene when they're on the bus and it's just, why are you unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? You know, you just you just out of nowhere just brings it back. And De Niro's just like, oh my God, this guy. Like it just it's a masterful performance. Yeah. Sad to see that he he passed, you know. Well, the work lives on. And you yeah. know, there's the the memoirs that he wrote, which mm-hmm. are incredibly inspirational because here's somebody who never gave up. Yeah. No matter how many times he was told you should be not doing this, he just kept at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I watch it at least once a year. Once a year, oh, yeah. I have to, I have to put it on. It's one of those, like, it's like, um, it's almost like a, yeah, it's like a religious experience. I have to do it one, at least once a year. I have to watch Oh yeah. It. And the whole cast too. It's not one of those movies where it's like, oh, these two guys, you know, they're mm-hmm. top hill, but the whole cast, like Yafit Koto's in it. That came um, out in 1988. Yeah. 1988 still holds up. Still the does. Music, the action. Um, John Astin. I mean, just Brilliant. I love watching Yafet Kodo too. Like every part that he gets pissed off. It, it's got so many special moments in it that add up to a rewatchable movie, to your point. Yeah. So, so Jason, I, I, this was fun. I, I knew this was going to be fun. Good. I wish we could keep going. Um, so to wrap this up, what, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? What, what are some parting words? What are some... In, thoughts you can you know give the audience about just just whatever top on anything you know craft or you know what we do for a living or or finding your passion mm-hmm. i mean i don't know i i've I found you to be you know when i got to judge with you just um a fun guy to be around very inspirational very easy to talk to and i i, I wish we had more opportunities like this to to connect um so that's why I want to reach me on the podcast. So I don't know. What do you what do you got for me, man? Give me something. Give me something inspiring or so the best advice you were ever given. Well, there's one thing that is in mind right now because I just finished reading one of Michael J. Fox's um, mm. autobiographies, and it's all about him learning and mastering his craft and learning business. And not to give away the kind of big takeaway from the book, but instead of live and learn, his his belief is live to learn. Mm. And I just love that approach. Uh, it's a humble one too. It's like, well, I don't know everything. I, I'm not going to pretend I do. I, I always need to improve. And then the second one, and I know you only asked for one thing, but no, I'll I, think take it all. It's, <laughs> I think it's an important <laughs> one. And um, pretty much anybody who came out of an improv scene, including Tina Fey, who wrote a really great autobiography, live work and breathe by yes and yes and, i wrote about that in a column i wrote about that's an improv improvisational technique yep yeah yeah and it just leaves you open for the next thing yes right. and right. yeah it's uh, it, and it sounds so much better than but no or <laughs> but have you thought 
or mm, no. Another way of saying that is instead of looking at all the reasons why we can't do something, let's try to find one why we can. Right? 100%. And that's all, you know, that's all I've ever been about. I've, I've never felt that business people or creative people are, I, I see them as equal. I really do. I, you know, we both bring something to the table. I, we need them. We need the, we need the left siders, right. And you need the right siders. Um, and I've, I've, it's the yin yang symbol. I never look, I always looked at it. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a collaboration. It's a, you know, I, I respect what they do, but I've often found my experience has been sometimes that I don't feel like there's the respect for what we do or the creative side does, you know, and I, that's always been kind of the, not the struggle, but just the, the thing that, that makes this job harder than it is, is that look fighting for that respect, fighting for that seat at the table, but believing that like, Hey, I do, there is value to what I bring or what we bring as, you know, as creative people, you know? So. Yeah. Everything else going okay for you? You, you, you doing good? Like I said, can't complain. <laughs> yeah. Very fortunate. Yeah. Well, I wish you well. Um, continued success. Um, and uh, how do we? How do I get a look at this portfolio? I want to. I want to see this work. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep going till you share it with me. I'm in Amazon. You know, if you type my name up, you'll see a lot of the books I designed. In addition to that one, um, okay. And on Instagram too. I've most recently somebody just like posted something on Instagram of a book that I designed. So I'm out okay. there. Okay. <laughs> you are out there, my friend. And I'm happy you are. You stay out there. All right. <laughs> Listen, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being on Adyak and um, be well. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right, Adyakers. Hope you enjoyed it because we have many more great conversations planned and guests lined up ready to yak it up. Adyak is sponsored and produced by ASR Media. Theme song was written and performed by Dan Ross. Location recording was at J.T. Norman's Design Studio. Adyak is the official podcast of the AAF Greater Lehigh Valley Ad Club. Stay hungry, stay humble. Till next time. This episode of Adyak is rated O for, oh man, that was good. <laughs>